quick note, this episode contains content that is not appropriate for all audiences. It contains curse words. Please use discretion. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of My Almost Dead Brother. This is Dan Knight here with you. Before we get into this episode, we want to just remind you about our website, www.myalmostdeadbrother.com, where we'd love to get your feedback, and especially we love listener questions. So go there, check out some pictures that Katie puts up there, and ask us a question. Also, we'd love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever. So today we're here with... Our third brother, Joe. All three brothers are here today. Hi, Joe. Hi, Dan. Sam. Okay. And of course, Sam is here, as always. He's the king. He's the... Well, he's the almost dead one, so he gets all the attention, yep. which is kind of weird. We'd like to go ahead and answer another question from one of our listeners. This one comes from Lane Abbott, Provide graduate. You know Lane. I know Lane. Hi, Lane. Thanks for your question. Here is Lane's question. Does Sam take visitors? What's your status right now? What do you think? I would say maybe up until a month ago, I probably could have had one, maybe two a day. But at this point, they've shut it down. Yeah, it gets just so weak and I'm just not up to it and I can't. So right now you're not feeling no feeling up for visitors. This so, is uh, kind of a way that you can interact with people though, right? Through the right. podcast. Through the podcast, yep. through Facebook. Yep. If someone really wanted to visit, they could maybe text me or Katie or Andy and depending on how you're doing, maybe they could visit. But overall, it's just kind of not what we're looking to do right now. Right. And so before we get into what we're going to talk about today, we want to do our medical update. Our last episode we recorded was just a couple of days ago and you were in the hospital in Provo, Utah Valley. And tell us what's happened since then, Sam. Uh, Medical-wise, they tried a procedure to, you know, reroute some of my bile, some of the drainage that they've been worried about. And that's all been in your gut area. Yeah. And that didn't work. And so... The doctor didn't want to do surgery on it. He just said no one should ever do surgery on that abdomen. Calls it a frozen abdomen. Because there's just tons of scar tissue. Takes a guy forever to just chip through it to do anything. He also said you have like hypertension in your veins or whatever, so it's just really hard to cut through anything without causing all kinds of problems. So is the strategy now to just kind of hope that the antibiotics will help keep the infection down and that over time the bile or the whatever's secreting out of your guts will slowly stop secreting and there'll be less fluid? Well, they're thinking they're going to come up with something. They're actively bouncing things off each other and hopefully they can come up with something. But the latest is the antibiotics. When I visited you yesterday, you were at the hospital in Provo. And where are you today? Today, I'm still in Provo. That's true. Yeah, we're very north Provo, though. You got sent across town. Yeah, we're almost in Orem. Almost in Narm. Narm. Yeah, it's about, what, about three or four miles? Did they make you walk, or did they take you in a car? Car. Oh, that's good. You don't walk real well right now. No, it would have taken forever. Yeah. So they drove me over. So you're now in a place called the Utah Valley Specialty Hospital. They've been talking about that for a few days. It's a hospital, but it's not. It's like a quasi-hospital rehab center. Step between, yeah. It's like a halfway house. Still got full-time nurse action, and you got all the tech stuff and the 
IVs and all that kind of stuff, but it's a little more relaxed. There's not like code this and that being heard over the speakers, at least not yet. So that's where we are. Not a massive change since our last update, but not really good or bad. Just no, still the same. Always have a pain in your belly area. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks, but I've seen you lost quite a bit of weight. I think at this point, you have accomplished something that's pretty impressive. You've gone from the heaviest night brother to the lightest night brother by a few pounds. That took some work, bro. A lot oh. of sacrifice on your part. Actually, yeah. it didn't. <laughs> a lot of pain. You suffered a lot to get to that. When they drain your gut and suck stuff out of you and all that kind of stuff, that's pretty intense weight loss. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I guess that's true. So a little more introduction to Joe. Joe, tell us more about yourself. I'm the oldest of the night boys. Sam's in the middle. Dan's the youngest. Now, Joe, you haven't heard this episode yet, but our listeners, by the time they hear this, will have heard it. Our sister Karen did an episode, and I'm she sh- did talk about you quite a bit. Kind of the annoying nature of Joe and how her boyfriends would come and beat me up if, if I was around the house and how she'd bully me. Is that what she talked about? No. And how she felt guilty about the way she treated me? She didn't feel any guilt. She did talk about one time where she was sitting on you, punching you in the chest. Or yeah. Something. Well, she'd use her boyfriends, too, when I got bigger. She would use her boyfriends to beat me up. For some reason, she perceived me as being somewhat annoying as a young man. (laughs) For some reason. Yeah. I don't understand it completely. Huh. I do also understand that, you know, in elementary school, I was often in the principal's office and got kicked out there as well. I had some issues with behavior. That brings to mind, were you ever on a show called Romper Room? I was with my cousin Dave. Did you ever make it on the air? Yeah, I think we did. There's a lot of editing that was done because my cousin Dave and I fought on Romper Room and had some issues. I, I had some issues in my youth. You know, we all know that. I mean, let's just get that on the table now. It was a little bit crazy And there sometimes. was a principal at Wasatch Elementary School in Provo. That's correct. What did he talk about your future? On the day that I broke two windows on the same day at Wasatch Elementary, he told me that he had once had a student just like me when he taught elementary school, and he's in prison now, and he thought I was headed to the same place. That didn't have any impact on me, so he looked at me and said, are you a Boy Scout? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you have citizenship in the community merit badge? And I said, yeah. And he said, I can take that away because you're not a good citizen. <laughs> And, you know, that got me scared. The prison thing was no big deal. The merit badge? But losing a merit badge, I had to go to a city council meeting. That was yeah, a big that's deal. A, that's one of the toughest merit badges. I think you should have called his bluff because I don't think... I, I, don't think I realize now as, as a, that I'm older that he could not have done that. But as a sixth grader... That was a good threat. I was pretty terrified of losing that merit badge. and you so figured out how to push your buttons. I cleaned it up. No windows for several days were broken. Well, and we still don't know for sure if he wasn't correct. I mean, you haven't been to prison yet. No, I haven't. You know, back in my day, one thing that was cool is if you got in trouble... You just have to run laps. And so like Tom Felton, I would cut school. And when we go to school, they'd say, where were you? We said we didn't get a note from our moms because we know our moms are known. They just make us run a bunch of laps. It actually led to a track career for me when I started running yeah, and racing. Yeah, you, you were quite the runner. And I didn't have to have notes from my parents. So I used to miss school a lot in elementary school as well. So that also was played into it. So there were some issues there in the early years. So that's an introduction of what Enough of that. Joe's like a little bit. Joe is, how much older than Sam are you? Five years. Yeah, you're seven years older than me. And in our other episodes so far, we've talked a lot about different stories of our youth. What we were thinking we could talk about today is, since we are in May now, and it's Memorial Day weekend, and we just had Mother's Day a couple weeks ago, and it also the time of year that our mom passed away six years ago. It was like May 17th. So we thought we could take a few minutes and talk about our mom and what she was like when we were little and maybe think about some stories of mom when she was young. So Sam, what's something that mom used to make us do or a specific story when we were little that you can think of? 
Well, she'd always, 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 if it was summer and we stayed out late, she'd wake us up earlier and make us weed. Just that one little square of weeds. Just this square right here. And then it would become two squares, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, pull weeds. Always pulling weeds. And while we were pulling weeds, she would always talk about her picking strawberries or raspberries when she was little. Like, oh, you kids don't know anything about work. When I was at the farm in Pleasant Grove, we had to pick strawberries, raspberries all day long, and this and that, and corn. And Yeah, she's pretty intense. I remember when I got expelled from school in second grade in California, they were just learning how to use Ritalin, and they wanted to use Ritalin on me to try to calm me down. And I remember mom took me into the principal's office, and the teacher and the principal and I were all sitting there and they said we're going to give joe some drugs to calm him down and i remember mom said to the principal listen i can deal with him at home without drugs you got to deal with him at school (laughs) and they said he's out and they expelled me she's a tough lady i also remember the time when sam was beating up on dan and i came and pushed sam off and started beating up on sam i remember mom came running downstairs and said you stop it damn it and she hit me with the shoulder knocked me to the ground and then got on top of me with her knees and started knuckling me on the head (laughs) And mom these, did? Yeah, mom did. And you guys started laughing at her. And then she got even madder and started knuckling me even harder. And we were all laughing so hard that it just made her angry. Uh, do you remember <laughs> yeah, that, Sam? Yeah. She was trying to torture me like I was torturing Sam. Was that at the Apple Avenue house? No, that was at Oak Lane. Oak. She's not big enough to really hurt us. So it was pretty crazy. I just remember when I was little, we were going to church and we had eight kids and mom and dad. So we'd take up a whole row in the middle section of the chapels. And me and Sam would be at one end and mom would be at the other end. And we'd always be fighting or punching each other or doing something. And she would just look down at us, grit her teeth, and it would be just like, oh, no. It's going to be a bad day. (laughs) We are in big trouble. And we knew. We need to stay at church today. You know, I'll tell you an older story about my mom that gives you an example of what she's like. My sister, just younger than me, Sandy, who you'll probably meet in this through the process, she moved in with mom and dad when they were building a house. And I said, don't do it, Sandy. Do not do it. But they move in. And like after two weeks living there, I come over to the house on a Saturday and mom comes up to me. She puts her finger in my face and she goes, do you get up in the morning and watch cartoons? And I said, I am so grateful that I don't have to live in your house like my poor brother-in-law Doug does. Everybody has to get up in the morning and pull weeds on Saturday morning. You can't watch cartoons with your kids. You can't do anything. If in the Summertime, if you watch TV during the day, on a weekday, it's like, no daytime TV. It might have been a little different for me and Andy. Yeah, she was nice by then. By the time you guys were there, it was... We watched a lot of daytime TV and Saturday morning Yeah, things got much more relaxed for you guys. You guys were flying on airplane trips and Disneyland and going to Europe. Yeah, the other thing about Mama, she's a big briber, right? She would bribe us to make us do things. Like when she wanted me to start running... When she dropped me off at the bottom of Apple Avenue, if I would sprint from the bus stop all the way up to the top of Apple Avenue, she would cook me a little steak as a snack. And I used to think that was the most awesome thing. That is pretty cool. She used to make us steaks during football season. The other thing that I thought was funny was when I was in high school, she thought I could sing for some reason. And so she said, you can have any sports shoes you want, any gear you want, if you take singing lessons. And so she bribed me into singing lessons. And by my senior year, I realized that I could just buy Chuck Taylors with my own money. You know, I'm kind of old, but they weren't the cool shoes. And I thought, I'm just going to wear crummy shoes and stop and singing lessons and it made her so mad that she no longer had power over me to buy sports equipment for me well my senior year she wanted me to, to sing and i hadn't sung ever and she paid me 100 to go out for the acapella and i got three of my friends and talked them into doing it and it turned out to be way fun but i got 100 bucks out of it did you get bribed by her sam several times what was the best bribe you got that you can remember? Basketball shoes to get my Eagle Scout. We all are eagles. We're all in the nest. Yep. Mom did 
95% of the work. Mom earned my eagle. Yeah, and mom and dad both went to all of our games, no matter what, wherever. I'll tell you something funny about the game thing. We go to games, and like in basketball, I sat on the bench a lot, especially in high school. And after the game, my dad would say, you know what? They lost the game because they didn't play you enough. And then afterwards, my mom would come up and she'd say, you know you're not that good, right? <laughs> you realize that you would not have won if you played. That's just not rational about you kids. Yeah, dad totally was like that with all of us. That coach is crazy. Not to play you. Why aren't you playing? And then mom would go, you know what? I never had mom downplay that. I don't remember that part. I remember some stories you told at mom's funeral. Remember some of those? Like, oh, yeah. The World Series. I'd been begging her to watch. How old were you? It was like elementary school, wasn't elementary. it? Fourth or fifth grade, yeah. I think I remember, yeah, as you fourth told. Fourth or fifth. Back then, it was Pirates against the Orioles. Orioles. Ken Singleton. Yep. And she, the first game, the first day, she just. Let me come back home. Back then, they only played day games. So that's pretty much your only choice except for weekends when they had primetime games. If you remember that, right? Yeah, long time ago. She let me watch them all. It was great. That doesn't seem very fair because I was just as into it. I don't remember getting that treatment. Why do you think she did that? Oh, maybe she saw that I was going nowhere. Hopeless case. <laughs> In fourth grade. <laughs> In her funeral, I think it was really interesting that all the kids spoke briefly and all of us talked about something mom did with us that nobody else knew about. And that was something about her that was really unique is Sam got snook out to go to baseball games. Dan had a letter that was written to him when he's having a difficult point in his life that was just super powerful and important to him. Yeah. I remember she would sneak me out of school in California and we would go see art at the museums in San Francisco on school days. Then she put me back and nobody would know. Remember Sandy got makeup done for her and had a portfolio made and nobody knew about it. You know, she had eight children she raised, nine total. And every one of us had special experiences just with mom that nobody else knew about. And so you always felt like she was your mom, even though she had eight children that she raised. And that's what came out in the funeral. Yeah, she was amazing at making it one-on-one with all those kids. It was pretty special. Making each kid feel special. It takes a lot of energy too. Which she had lots of. Since this episode is all about our mom, we wanted to play part of Sam's talk that he gave at our mom's funeral. Just for a little context, earlier in the funeral, our sister Sandy mentioned that she was in between two flamboyant siblings, Joe and Sam. Also, I had just spoken just before Sam and read a letter that my mom wrote where she told me when I'm having hard times to square up my shoulders and face the world, which was an important thing for me. And so he shares a few stories and some of them he's already told in this podcast. We hope you don't mind. I've been kind of checking things off as they've been mentioned by my siblings, but I didn't have flamboyant down there. (laughs) I've never been called that. I'll talk to you about that later. (laughs) Joe, I got, but me, I didn't. Square your shoulders, hold your chin up high, and go face the world. My mom said that to me hundreds of times, and she wouldn't just say it. She would kind of grit her teeth and look straight through me, look into my eyes and straight through me, and it was, it was incredible every time she said it. It was, it was like watching the original Rocky movie ten times. It, it, it got me through a lot of things, and I just think I can do it. Um, other times, like um, if I was feeling insecure or nervous about something, or sometimes I'd just be 
you know, I'd be talking to my folks, I was having a struggle, and I'd say, look at my siblings, you know, they're all so incredible, and they achieve all these things, and then add their spouses to it, it's, it's daunting, and she'd say, you shut your mouth, you, I've always thought you are my smartest child, <laughs> and I'm sure she said it to all you guys, too, oh, maybe, never mind, she didn't say that to me, that never happened. Um, my mom was pretty amazing. My mom was great. It's it's really hard thinking she's not here anymore. My mom was just someone that was there for you, and you could tell her anything, and she'd listen. My mom loved the gospel. She loved Larry Knight very much. She loved all us kids. She loved her grandchildren so much. She loved us all so much. She, there's one thing that my mom was about. It was about love. My mom was very skilled in, uh, as others have talked about, English and uh, language and reading and all of that. And she would always correct us if we would speak with bad grammar, as I've done to my girls a little bit, annoyingly, because I'm usually wrong when I correct you. Um, she, in fact, I wasn't going to tell this, but Sandy needs one. Um, Sandy was one, this is when we were in the, in the old Oak Lane house, and there was, the front door was up, and then there was a downstairs, and Sandy was in her, in her bedroom getting all ready for a date and everything. And so the, the guy ring, this wasn't Doug, by the way. He would never have done this. And uh, me and my dad answered. Well, my dad was answering the door when the guy rang the doorbell. And, you know, I, as the flamboyant little brother, wanted to get in on it. So I ran up there, and, and my dad answers, and he comes in, and he's talking to us, and Sandy's getting ready. My mom was either in another room or downstairs, and the guy says, um, where's she at? And I hear my mom yell, who said that? And my dad, she said, Larry, was that you? And he said, I would never end a sentence in a preposition. <laughs> and that kid never came around again. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So I didn't have to tease her at all because mom took care of that. Oh, and, and my dad. Um, Back in those days, I was a big baseball fan, and back in those days there was no ESPN. Um, we got the Saturday game of the week, and then highlights on the news. I loved baseball, my mom loved baseball, my mom loved a good pitching duel as much as anything. She, when uh, they had their first four kids, they were in the Bay Area, and me and Dan a little bit, and they gravitated towards the San Francisco Giants instead of the Oakland A's. And I'd ask her why, and I think it, she would say it was the uh, designated hitter. She liked pitching. So um, my mom and I, and well, everybody, we had a bond with her about baseball. And I just remember being so bummed out because back then the World Series was played during the day. So we were in school, and I believe they broadcast it late at night, but... Um, we would be in bed. She'd make us be in bed early. So um, 
I remember when I was in fourth grade, I think the Yankees were playing the Dodgers in the World Series. And I remember I was bummed out going to school all forlorn. Tell me what happens, Mom. And then at about 1 o'clock, I remember I got called to the office, and there was my mom to pick me up and take me home to watch the World Series. And she took me out for all six games of that series. And I sat there. We had a big family room. It's when we were in Apple Avenue. And I sat there with my ball glove on one hand and a tennis ball. And with every pitch, I threw a tennis ball against the door. And if it was a grounder, I'd throw a grounder and then throw it to the first baseman and catch it. And my mom sat there with me the whole time. So in fourth grade, the uh, Yankees beat the Dodgers in sixth. Fifth grade, the Yankees beat the Dodgers in sixth. And we're National League people, too. But um, in sixth grade, it was the best. Because it was the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates with Willie Stargell and everybody. And they were playing the Baltimore Orioles. And it was a seven-game series. And I threw every pitch right along during the game. And my mom sat right there with me the whole time. And uh, Pittsburgh won that one, by the way. Um, that was a good memory I have of my mom just getting me out of school to watch the World Series. She didn't do that for you, Dan, did she? <laughs> she asked, and I said, don't get him out. <laughs> he doesn't like baseball like I do. Um, my mom hated us to sit there and watch TV. She hated it. Um, in the summers, I always knew the longer you slept, the bigger the patch of weeds you're going to have to pull were going to be, no matter what. And if we sleep in, it was not worth it. You're working and working. Um, she also, like, my mom really encouraged us to do things outside and to just not sit there. So, like, we were watching, we'd be watching the Summer Olympics, and me and Dan are just hanging on the sofa and having Katie and Andy go get us things from the kitchen, you know. And uh, my mom would come down and say, why aren't you guys outside? It's a beautiful day. And the Olympics are on, Mom, and she'd go and get these chairs we had, you know, just to start us off, these chairs that had, you know, metal flats and get a broomstick, put the beanbag on the other side, and then we're doing the high jump. And then take us out and we do the long jump. We All the time we were doing that. I mean... As long as we were outside working she, or playing, she would let us do whatever we wanted to the house. In, in baseball season, I, we, Dan and I would play a lot of wiffle ball, and I would always set up a Fenway Park. I'd take the trampoline, scooter over left field, tip it up on its side. That was a green monster. And then Dan and I would go through lineups of the teams. You'd have to hit right-handed when right-handed batters were up and left-handed. It was pretty fun. He, that's how I got him to be a decent baseball player. A lot of the things I was going to talk about have been checked off. You know, the finger crossing, that was classic. She'd have all her fingers crossed, and her laugh, her laugh was great. Her laugh was infectious. You, it made everybody happy. It was just great to hear her laugh. My mom was a problem solver. Um, in high school, I started making some bad decisions, you know, and partying and things. And I remember when we'd come home on the weekend nights, we'd have to wake my mom up. And the first couple times I came home and she smelled something on me, she'd kind of get mad at me. Not terribly mad, but I could tell she was very disappointed. 
I remember the third time, she said, I said, I'm home, Mom, and she just uh, said, okay, I love you. And I went down, and five minutes later, she came in and laid in the bed next to me and just sat there and talked to me. She asked me how it felt, why I did it. Um, she was, she just talked to me for about an hour, and she was just formulating a plan. She was learning about it, learning why, and she was going to attack it. And she never gave up on that. She was, she was a problem solver. Um, I learned when I was young and Joe was a teenager, I learned never to sass my mom because uh, this was an Apple Avenue house a long time ago. I remember one time Joe was leaving and my mom was getting after him, which was very commonplace with Joe. And uh, I remember he said, I can't remember if he said shut up or something, but I've never seen six feet, five inches, 250 pounds pin my brother up against the wall so fast. My dad, you, you didn't do it. I mean, you just didn't. Joe said one thing wasn't even that bad, and, and my dad was in his face so fast, and it was scary. It was the, I'd say the maddest I've ever seen my dad, and my dad doesn't get mad very often, but he had Joe up against the wall with his feet dangling. So I never sassed my mom. I knew that's, that you just don't do that. She, and she deserved the respect we gave her. Um, I really want to thank my dad right now um, for giving my mom such a great life. I, he gave her the very life she wanted. I, I want to thank you, Dad. You were great. And I want to thank you for taking such good care of my mom. These last five years have been very difficult and my dad has been incredible. I've, I've come down on weekends for the past couple of years and stay with him and help with my mom and I've been so lucky I've been able to do that and so blessed. It's been, it's been amazing watching, um, watching my dad take care of her. Um, I'd say I learned more about love and light, and just pure, unconditional love, watching my dad take care of my mom than in my whole life. He, I mean, it was a full-time job. It was plus. It was a 16-hour-a-day-plus job, and he would do it with a big smile on his face for 15 minutes, just 15 minutes sitting on the sofa, holding her hand and cuddle up with her. I'd come in on a Friday, and there they'd be, sitting on that sofa, and they'd just be so happy. They'd both just be smiling and glowing. My dad had her hand, and then later I'd find out, you know, what had gone on during that day, and they were hard days. They were tough. After my mom passed away, a dear friend told me that I have always been a mama's boy, and that my mom had a soft spot for me. I don't think that soft spot was for me. I think it was for my twin brother, Tommy. During the last several months, I would tell my mom, it's okay to go, Mom. You've done your work. 
Tommy needs some one-on-one time with you. He deserves it. It's okay to go. And every time I'd mention, no matter how bad she was, when I'd say Tommy, she'd look at me and I could see the sparkle in her eye, no matter what. She was just well aware of it. And the last week, the last week and a half of her life, she recognized us, all of us, grandkids, everybody, and anybody that went there to say goodbye to my mom. She gave them what they wanted. She pleased them. She fought so hard to stay awake, and then she fought so hard to stay alive. It was hard to watch. But everybody, she'd smile at them, touch their hand. She made everybody feel peaceful. And I, I love my mom very much. I'm very proud to be the son of my mom and dad. I'm very proud to be a sibling to my siblings. I'm very proud to be the father of these three beautiful girls. And I'm very proud to be a grandfather. That talk was given on May 23rd, 2013. We think it demonstrates the love and the special relationship our mom had for all of her children, especially Sam. All right, well, that's it then. Hasta la pasta. Hasta la vista. Over and out. This podcast is hosted by me, Dan Knight, and features Sam Knight. It is produced by Katie Knight and Andy Ellis, with Larry Knight as the executive producer. Music by Dot and Then Dot. Check out more of their great music at dotandthenDot.com.